Welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young Christians who live in Montreal. We meet together to answer questions of faith in Jesus Christ and how to serve Him in the modern world. The podcast today is a new sermon series looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit described in Galatians chapter 5. Today we look at the topic of what it means to live by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would inspire and strengthen us to continue to go deeper and deeper in our relationship with you. Lord, as we look at this beautiful passage of Scripture today, I ask, God, that you would illuminate the text to us and help us to see more and more the life that you're calling us to and the method of becoming the people you're calling us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... We are starting this week with a new series, a series that's focusing on the gifts, excuse me, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We did a little poll last week to see which uh, topic you guys were most interested in hearing, and this one. So we're doing it this week, uh, the gifts, oh my gosh, I keep saying gifts, sorry. The, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what we're going to be covering. And before we get into each specific fruit, uh, and it's from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, before we get into each specific fruit, I wanted to look at what it means to live in the Spirit. Because that's the, the call that, that goes all the way throughout Galatians in particular, is to have a life that's characterized by being in the Spirit. And so we're going to start off as, as that launching point. But the basic thrust throughout the book of Galatians is that, that we need to be people for whom there's something on the inside that spills out. That needs to be who we are as people. And so if we don't have this type of flow out of us, then we're not doing it right. And I wanted to try to make a point of connection with that idea. And we do see there's moments in our life where we get an experience of what is living on the inside of us. Sometimes it's hard to know whether or not we are brave or whether or not we are kind or loving uh, or at least the, the, the depth of that. Uh, and every now and then something uh, out of the ordinary will take place in our lives and we'll get to see what kind of people we are, whether we are brave or not or anything like that. And these moments are usually brought on by like high stress, some kind of surprise uh, thing that happens in life or some really difficult uh, thing or, or being uh, all of a sudden caught up in the moment, we can see something come out of us uh, when we're squeezed, when there's a pressure put on us, something comes out of us and we get to see what that is. And I had an experience a few years ago. I was driving at night in the middle of winter and I was driving up from Montreal to uh, a place just south of uh, Mont Tremblant. Uh, and I, had, I was coming after youth group on a Friday night, and I was going there to meet Debbie. We were going to spend the weekend together with, uh, we were in Claire at that point, but Claire and Debbie had driven up earlier. So I was in the, my car by myself, driving up. Debbie had gone in a different car, and driving up, and there was a snowstorm that had passed through about 20 minutes before. And so this, the road was very, very snowy. And as I'm driving along the, along the highway, I'm sure, as you've already guessed what's going to happen, I started to spin out. I was trying to change lanes to get uh, into a, a more clear lane. And I guess I did everything you weren't supposed to do when you were changing lanes. I did it a little bit too fast, 
and I've so, sort of felt the car sliding from under me a little bit. And they say at that point, the best thing to do is to not hit the brakes, but to just kind of, to let, like to just, I, I guess, keep on the accelerator, just take off the accelerator, but don't hit the brakes is what they say. Sure enough, I hit the brake in a panic. And so my car just spun and it began to spin in the road. And it wasn't too long. I think I went around maybe one time before I was into the, the snowbank on the side. Boom, I hit the snowbank and everything kind of stopped for a second. Uh, but it was in those moments of panic that I saw something come out of me. Because uh, what happened is as I realized I was losing control, I began to yell. But I didn't yell uh, just screaming like in a girly way. I didn't yell out curse words or anything else. What I actually yelled out was, God, help me. God, help me. Please help me. Uh, and, I, and I was reflecting upon it afterwards. It cut to the end of the story. I banked it. Thankfully, somebody else uh, stopped behind me and put their, their lights on to flash, gave me enough time to get out of the snowbank and go on. No damage to the car, nothing. I was shaking like crazy afterwards because of all the adrenaline, but nothing, uh, nothing went wrong, and I was very grateful for that. But I was thinking about it afterwards, and I thought, that was kind of cool. It was kind of cool that in my moment of desperate panic, what came out of me was a prayer. I was praying, God, please help me in this situation. And I, would, I didn't know. You, don't, you never know who you're going to be in these situations until you get there. Because there's something inside us all. And it is controlling us in one way or another. Uh, we're not aware of it. And sometimes we don't know what's in there until it comes out. The story uh, that I tell you is supposed to be one that gives you the idea of a kind of a what's on the inside of you. And that's what I want to talk about today. What is on the inside of us? We have um, the call in the Bible to live according to the Spirit or live in light of the Spirit or in uh, following the Spirit or filled with the Spirit. All of these different terminologies that talk about being uh, indwelled or led along by the Spirit. And one of the passages that speaks about this is the passage we're going to spend a few weeks on together, Galatians chapter 5, verse, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Uh, I'm going to read a bit uh, further down as well. It, uh, it starts like this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And this is the call of Paul, to live by the Spirit. And the context of Paul's teaching is uh, he's speaking to the Galatians in order to refute a type of teaching that had come in that had been brought about by people who came from a Jewish background uh, and wanted to maintain the Mosaic law and bring Christ into it. So it was important to them that if anyone wanted to come to Christ, they also had to come to submitting to the Jewish laws of purity, the Jewish laws of kosher diet, uh, undergo circumcision if you're a man, these types of things that were very uh, ritualistic types of, of purity laws. And Paul's coming in here and he's arguing that obedience to the law is not the way forward. 
that's not what we are called to do as Christians. We're not called to obey a type of law and conform in a certain way from outside in. He said there's another way forward. And this way forward is being led by the Spirit. And that is how we should proceed forward. And you can see his little hint at bringing that argument into what he's saying here when he says at the end of verse 23, against such things there is no law. And what he means by that is he's characterizing uh, this, this, the fruit of the Spirit as something that would fully uh, satisfy the need of obedience. There's no law required. If you're exhibiting these fruit in your life, that is what it means to be an obedient follower of God. There's no nothing outside of that that needs to be added on top of it, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what is sufficient. So there's no constraint by any kind of law. That's not what we need. Jesus brings us freedom freedom from the law. This is what Paul argues. This is what Jesus speaks of during his time. Freedom from the power of sin and freedom also from being under the law. And many people are kind of uncomfortable with that. I think even on the face of it, when you, are, when you, when you try to offer this to someone, there's a hesitation to it because what you're essentially confronting here is this notion of what would happen if people were not restrained by the law. And when I ask myself that question, what would happen if the people if people were not constrained by the law? I'll be honest, there is a there's a pessimistic kind of side of me that when I if you asked me that question, I would say, well, I'd be afraid of the answer. If I had to think about what would happen if people were not restrained by the law, I think that maybe there would be anarchy, maybe there would be a lot of destruction and and, and brokenness and and so there's a fear that exists within when we start talking about doing away with the law, saying, no, we don't need to follow the law anymore. Now, that's not what Paul is speaking of here, but the hesitation is well met. I understand it. And in light of the way that we categorize things, the way that we think of things, what we often find is there's two kinds of Christians in the world, or at least maybe more broadly speaking, two kinds of churches that you can encounter, uh, largely speaking. There is a kind of a church that goes on to one extreme, which is the side of legalism, uh, where when you go into this, their fellowships, it would be very evident that you have to look like them and act like them and speak like them. And if you don't do that, then you're very much out of place and unwelcome. And so there's a way to do things, and this is how it's done. Anything outside of that is to be rejected, and there's that legalism there. And on the other side of it, we have maybe what's more of a... a, a maybe licentious church, or, or maybe that's too strong a word, at least a, a, a church that's maybe more liberal in a broad sense of that word too. It's difficult to find a word that fits what I'm trying to describe, but it's a kind of church that would have far, an attitude far more of like, you know what, uh, Jesus loves me just the way I am. Uh, I don't need to change. Me and God are good. Uh, so there's no change. Uh, there's no discernible difference between those who claim the name of Christ uh, and those who are just, you know, secular people. Uh, and there's also the door left open to temptation all the time. There's just, you know, do whatever you want kind of attitude. And that could be an equally bad problem too. So how do we avoid these two extremes? How do we avoid legalism? And how do we avoid 
the opposite, which would just be do whatever you want. And where Paul finds himself, he says, forget these categories. These categories are unhelpful. What we need to do is focus on what the Spirit is doing and what access we have to the Spirit here. The Bible's argument, forget Paul, the Bible's argument is that the Spirit-filled life is the answer to both of those extremes. But neither of those are good options, but what the Bible provides is something that is not even the middle ground, something that's totally different completely as well. In it, you will find the fulfillment of the, re the requirements of the law. And in it as well, you will be able to overcome the tendencies in our heart that we have towards selfish behavior and begin to actually submit to God instead. And so, living by the Spirit is the launching pad of where we're going today. And there's many different ways that it's described in the Bible. Sometimes we are called to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. So these are all the different types of descriptions given to how we're supposed to be categorized in our relationship to the Spirit. So what does it mean? Well, <clears throat> I think to answer that question, the first thing we need to understand is that we can't forget that the Spirit is a person. We're talking about the Holy Spirit as a He, not as an It. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. He is equally God. Equally God as much as Jesus is God, as much as the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And so what we're not talking about here is a type of following the force or following uh, this, seeking after like a filling of a power. In fact, it's going to feel a lot more like a relationship. A relationship, one that will capture your heart. So this is what we're going with. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is similar to being in a relationship, one in which your heart is captured. And the result of this is a transformed life. That is what it means to be filled by the Spirit. It's far more than just following a list of rules. It's about developing a new character entirely. And what's spoken of out of this, as the passage we already read speaks of, is there's a fruit that comes out of this, specific fruits that come from this. And I think that's a good metaphor, fruit, because in the same way that fruit is what comes out of a tree that is alive and healthy, what comes out of a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit that is alive and healthy is a person that has uh, a different character, a new character. And that is, that's the basis of the change that we're talking about here. It's a change from the inside out because it, it's foundationally a relationship that we're speaking of here. And keep in mind, well, so keeping in mind that the relationship is, that the, the experience we're having here is relational. This points us in the right direction, the biblical direction forward. The way that the Bible speaks about the truth, the gospel, is it's never meant to be something that we merely know in the way that you know a fact. You were always meant to experience the gospel. You're meant to taste the gospel. You're meant to feel the gospel. And there is a world of difference between knowing something and experiencing something. 
Uh, I, there was a, an interesting analogy, I forget where it came from, but someone was speaking about this difference and he said, you know, imagine a blind man comes up to you and says, can you tell me the difference between red and blue? Uh, is, it, is it the same as the difference between the sound of a guitar and the sound of a piano? And you would probably think about the question and say, well, I have, I have no category to answer that. I can't, I can't describe one sensation by another sensation. And in the same way, you can't equate knowing the facts of the gospel, understanding the gospel, with experiencing the gospel, experiencing what it's like. These are two different categories of sensation, and they're not comparable in that sense. I've used this metaphor, this analogy before, but imagine you'd never ch tasted chocolate before in your life. You had no idea what it tasted like. And so you went to a chocolate conference. And at this chocolate conference, you sit down in the audience, and the first thing that happens is a historian gets up and he explains all of the different, the history of chocolate and how, where it came from and what it is today. And then someone, uh, someone else came up and gave a testimony about the way that chocolate had changed their life and how you know, before they were one way and now they're a different way and it's all because of chocolate. And then another person came up and they, sang, they read a poem, an ode to chocolate, and described in this beautiful poetic language uh, all that chocolate was and how great it was. And then someone else came up and they were scientists and they explained exactly how chocolate, uh, the sensation of chocolate causes you know, neurochemical reactions and blah, 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 blah. The conference goes on and on and on and you get, get out of the conference and you have a, now have a good grasp about the ins and outs of chocolate, but you could, you could still couldn't tell me what it tasted like until you actually tasted it. And that is what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to taste the gospel. To become a Christian is to taste the gospel, to experience it as well. And we need those facts to become real to us, to be transforming us as well. And the, to sort of add a bit to what I began with, the story I began with, uh, part of the reason why I spun out is, as I alluded to, I didn't, I didn't really take seriously uh, what it meant to drive in winter. Before this spinning out that I occurred, Debbie most often would, would talk to me about, listen, when you're driving in winter, there's a difference. You, you have to drive differently. And I would say, yeah, yeah, I understand that. I understand that. And I knew I had to leave you know, greater headspace and break earlier. I knew I had to turn differently around corners. I knew I had to do all these things cognitively. But very often, I would just sort of forget it and just go and then drive the way I've driven my whole life. After that terrifying experience, when I had experienced the, the outfall of what it meant to not take it seriously, I now drive differently in winter. And it wasn't the, as though I received new information. That wasn't the case of, that wasn't what happened to me. What happened to me was the information I already knew became real to me. I now experienced the problem that was being spoken of. I now knew what was going on. So it wasn't that the information was new, but that the information became real. And bringing that very long point home, the job of the Holy Spirit is to make the gospel real to believers, to make the gospel taste 
to, to taste the gospel, to experience the gospel. That is what the Holy Spirit does. Have you ever met a person who is just so excited about something? I've had a few conversations with people who are starting up companies, uh, and so they're very entrepreneurial, and all they will talk about is their business. They just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about it. That's their life. Or people who, particularly with teens, they can be extremely passionate about it, like a game. Uh, and they love this game, or they love this fandom, Harry Potter or, or whatever it is. They love this thing. And they'll just talk and talk and talk about it. Have you ever met a Christian who just can't stop talking about Jesus? They just talk and talk and talk about Jesus. Well, the Holy Spirit is like that Christian who will just talk and talk and talk about Jesus. The Holy Spirit, uh, J.I. Packer, uh, likens the Holy Spirit to a floodlight. A floodlight which, when you think about how a floodlight works, it, it's perched in a certain place and it just showers light down. It doesn't illuminate itself in any way. In fact, the Holy Spirit, the, the floodlight itself is sort of lost in the illumination because you can't even see the, whole, the floodlight when it's on and it's shining on something else. But you can see clearly what it's shining on. And the Holy Spirit is shining a light on the person and the work of Jesus. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, shining a light upon the person and work of Jesus. His job is to make Jesus shine. And as your heart is flooded with the truth of Jesus, what happens in those, th that period is that the image of Jesus imprints on your heart in the same way that old film cameras the way that a film camera would work is that it would expose this, uh, this sort of reactive material to light and then it would just do it for a second but it was long enough that that light would imprint itself onto this reactive material and then they'd be able to develop it later using different processes the holy spirit shines the work and the person of jesus upon your heart and that imprints itself upon you. You begin to become more like Jesus. You begin to respond to the message of Jesus. It, it shifts you and it changes you. Uh, Reese Howell, uh, speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit, he says this, but when the Holy Spirit comes in, he brings the love of the Savior in. It seemed as though I could lay down my life for this man. There was a love pouring out of me that I never knew. Isn't that an amazing description? He's talking about the Holy Spirit illuminating the love of the Savior. And you see the, the fruit of this in the passage is that as a result, he felt a love pouring out of him, a love that he never knew, saying, I could die for this man. He's experiencing the type of illumination that the Holy Spirit is bringing. That is amazing. And this is what the fruit of the Spirit is. When you look through that list, what you shouldn't see is simply changes of the heart, that people are being emotionally impacted by this. That's the way that we understand the heart, but that's not the way the Bible understands the heart. When the Bible speaks of the heart, sometimes it talks about thinking with your heart, it talks about feeling with your heart. It talks about doing and, and willing and deciding with your heart. 
really when, when we think of the heart being changed or the heart being imprinted upon, we need to think of it the way our whole self is imprinted by Jesus. It's a whole life change. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are more than just emotional. Look through that list, you'll see that something like love. Love is more than an emotion. Love is a way of thinking as well as a way of feeling, as well as a way of willing and doing and, and choosing. You have to do all of that in order for it to be truly love. And many of those same fruit will fall under that same description. The Holy Spirit's fruit comes out in a whole life experience. The Holy Spirit will, will set our minds on the thing of Christ. It will, uh, you know, like the prayer of, uh, of Paul in, in Ephesians 3, I pray that you may grasp the heights of the love. He wants, the, he wants us to grasp, to intellectually get to understanding the love of Jesus or stirring our emotions or changing our will. That kind of real change is what's happening within us. And there's an amazing thing. There's, there's actually a way we can see how these things strongly relate to each other. The indwelling, the filling of the Holy Spirit, uh, being equated with the, the, the gospel and the work in the person of Jesus Christ becoming more real to us. And we can compare and contrast two verses and find some very interesting similarities between them. If you look first at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, you'll see it says something interesting here. It says, um, <clears throat> Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have, say, the call to be filled by the Spirit, and if you're, if you're doing this, by, as you're being filled by the Spirit, then this is what you should do. Address each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Make melody to the Lord of your heart and give thanks for everything to God. So that's what we're called to do as a result of being, being filled by the Holy Spirit. Now we go to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, Colossians 3, um, 16. And this is what Colossians 3, 16 says. It says, let the, word of, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, there's a difference and a similarity there. The, the difference is, in the first passage, we're called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the second passage, we're called, let the Word of Christ the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. But the fruit of it is the same. It's singing psalms. It's spiritual songs. It's thanksgiving in our hearts. And on the one hand, we see the filling of the Holy Spirit produces these things. And on the other hand, we see the indwelling of the Word of Christ is what produces these things. And so these two things are interchangeable. They are brought together in a beautiful way. Same result, and really I think same process, just worded differently. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make the work and the person of Jesus Christ real to you, to let the Word of Christ dwell in your heart. That is the role. And while we're on the subject 
of Ephesians chapter 5, we see in that passage as well a very interesting uh, type of analogy brought in about the Holy Spirit. And that it, it compares and contrasts the idea of, of being drunk on wine with being filled with the Spirit. And so it's putting these two things together. And so there must be a way that they are kind of similar and a way that they are not similar. And so uh, how are they similar? I would say that in the same way of being drunk on alcohol, it really, it, it moves you, it sways you, it kind of, it pushes you into things. You, you become uh, sort of overpowered, in a sense, by, by being, in being drunk. In the same way, the Holy Spirit's indwelling, it, it moves you, it shapes you, it, it brings you forward, or brings you out. And, and that's the way it's like each other. But the fruit are totally different. And actually the methodology is totally different. Because the reason that alco alcohol has the power to do that is that it makes you kind of less aware of reality. Alcohol, clinically speaking, is a suppressant. It suppresses certain aspects of your personality. It suppresses certain uh, inhibitions that you otherwise would have had. And so you become uninhibited as a result. Uh, but it does this by suppressing reality. You stop thinking of the consequences. You stop thinking of the context. You, you, your world gets smaller and smaller. And as a result, you get more reactionary. And as a result, it leads to debauchery, as it says. The Holy Spirit's way of influencing you and changing you is totally the opposite. It's not a suppressant in any way. It doesn't make your world get smaller and smaller. It actually enlarges your, your idea of reality far more. You begin to see fully what is real. You begin to see beyond what's going on in the immediate around you to see what is eternally true. You see the love of God. You see the, the security you have in Him. You see these things and because you see them, because you're more aware of reality, rather than less aware of reality. It leads to fruitful living. And there is where we see what it means to live according to the Spirit or, or live in the Spirit. We live in this heightened sense because we're aware of what the Word of God says. We're aware of what Jesus has done. And we're not only aware of it cognitively, we are aware of it experientially. We have tasted it through the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is how change comes to a Christian. And this is so different to obeying a law. You know, I think the reason why it was so important to, for Paul to hammer this home is because really what we see here is an extension of the gospel. Because when you think about it, how... How is it that you become a Christian? You become a Christian by the Word and the work of Jesus Christ becoming real to you. It becomes real to you, and as a result, what? You repent and believe. You turn away and you begin to follow Him. That is how you become a Christian. The work of God, the work of Christ becomes real to you. You repent as a result and you believe. You need, we need to follow that trajectory on as Christians. It wouldn't make sense if we came into the kingdom by one method and then we grew in the kingdom using another method. It wouldn't be as if you come in through grace, but then you 
are sanctified or you grow through obeying the works of the law, it would be this, it's the same method. How is it that you change and mature as a Christian? It is by the work of Jesus Christ becoming more real to you, more and more real to you. And as a result, what? You repent and you believe. You continue to change as a result of that impact on your heart and you begin to walk more in faith, more and more. So it's still actually done by grace. It's done by the love of God coming into your life and impacting you, changing you as a result. The way the Holy Spirit points out problems in you, this is Timothy Kelly, he says, the Holy Spirit will point out what's wrong with you and fling His arms of love around you. That's a beautiful picture. The Holy Spirit doesn't just simply not care about what's wrong with us. He cares. And He points out to us what's wrong with our lives. But as He does it, He does it embracing us in His arms of love. And that's how we change. We change as a product of His grace, a product of His love. We change as more and more the saving act of God becomes more and more real to us. And so to me, that's what it means to live in, live in the Spirit. It, it's about this relationship that we experience with God in which the, the work of God becomes more and more real to us. And so how should we proceed forward? Well, on one hand, I think what I've said to you is, is, is helpful to understand it. But on the other hand, I haven't really given you a clear step-by-step -step way of being able to walk in the Spirit because it's not something that we can we can manufacture by, by some kind of step-by-step -step process. We need to pray. We are helpless uh, to do this ourselves. It, it, it needs to be a work of the Spirit. But we can do what all helpless people can do, and that we can ask. We can ask the Holy Spirit to work in us and change us and help us to see more and more the reality of the Gospel, the reality of the work of Christ. And I want to end with an encouragement to you to pray a certain way, to pray that this would come into your life, to pray that the Holy Spirit would more and more show you what is real, to show you the love of Christ, and to be open, to simply start walking in faith and be open. And John Stott used to pray this prayer every day. And John Stott's an amazing man, was an amazing man. I believe he's passed on now. Don't quote me on that. But um, he, he, prayed, he prayed this every single day. And I would say John Stott is one of the most uh, Christ-like Christians that is of sort of the modern age. He says this, Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what we are called. I think we're called to pray that same way too. And so, let's, let's pray together quickly, and then I'll let you guys ask any questions you may have after this. So if you have any, be ready to write them in the comments. Let's just quickly close 
in prayer. Uh, God, on one hand, I re recognize that what I've said tonight is quite heady. Uh, it's quite, uh, uh, it's quite, I guess, not theoretical, but, but it's, it's all kind of head knowledge, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would make this real to us. I ask, Lord, if there's anyone listening who, who is hearing this and thinking, I don't get it, may you help them to get it. It is by relationship that we feel the Holy Spirit come in and make the work of Jesus Christ real to us. I ask, Lord, that you would do that. My words are nothing. Your Holy Spirit is the one that can bring fruit out of this. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you might bring these fruit in our lives as the work of Christ becomes more and more real to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more about CU20 or People's Church of Montreal, simply look us up peoplesmontreal.org. At our website, you'll be able to find links to past sermons, information about where and when we meet, and contact information if you'd like to get a hold of any of the pastors or staff at the church. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.